Hello and welcome to Pittsburgh Liberation Radio. This is Nick, and today I am joined by my comrades Kit, Ian, and June. And today we're going to be bringing you some local news updates, from racist policing proposals to environmental crimes to attacks on the LGBTQ community. There's a great deal to discuss and fight against happening right here, right now. So with that, I think we can start with a quick round of introductions. As I said, I'm Nick. I've been with the PSL since last July, and I focus on a lot of anti-imperialism work, among other things. I'll pass it over to Kit. Nice to be here again. Kit, they, them, and I am a PSL member. Hi, this is June. I use she, they pronouns. I am Kit and Nico's co-worker at La Prima at CMU. I've been a party member since 2018. Hello, I'm Ian. I use he, him pronouns. I am a PSL party member. I've been organizing with the PSL since late 2019. And I am also a student at Pitt, a chemistry student at Pitt. All right. So thanks for the intros, guys. I think we're going to start today with Kit, who's here with kind of an update on some of the police proposals that are going on around town. So Kit, maybe you can kind of speak to the origins of these policing plans, where they're coming from, the effects that they will have on the community, and hopefully what we can do about it in terms of alternatives. The way that the policing proposals have unfolded through the city of Pittsburgh has been really interesting, specifically since Mayor Ed Ganey was elected last January. There was a lot of revolutionary energy in the streets here in Pittsburgh in 2020, and there were calls for defunding the police, moving the money from the police towards people's needs, just here in our our neighborhoods. And it's taken quite a turn. You know, the focus now is not police accountability. It's safety. And with that, there's this Stop the Violence program. And essentially, it connects itself to the Department of Public Safety, so the police. And this is just another way that the police looks like they're friendly rather than provocateurs. And make no mistake, our position is that the police are purveyors of violence through the state. They are the attack dogs of the capitalists, and they don't serve us, the working people, working families, and the oppressed. So I get this newsletter in my email from the Stop the Violence office just a few weeks ago, announcing the distribution of more funds through the city. And this is amid crime fears, and Ganey announced a plan to triple police presence in downtown Pittsburgh. This was just the beginning of February 2023. So I'm not exactly sure how these Stop the Violence grants are exactly going to address the problem when there's thousands of nonprofits here in Pittsburgh, thousands. And they're already competing for resources, and they're not trying to end the economic system of capitalism that is really the source of the issue, the root 
of the issue is poverty, and they don't name that in all of these proposals, and instead want to triple police presence. And through these other grants and the nonprofits, when you look at them, they might have some sort of like violence mitigation, which of course we would be all for any sort of community initiatives that actually really serve the working people. But when I was looking at the legislator and what the city council has been talking about with these funds, a lot of it goes back to the police and funding the police. And so it's just them, the city, finding ways around the calls for like ending the police presence here. So anyways, this is a long line of reforms that have been introduced again and again. And the Fraternal Order of Police in the city just went through their union contract negotiations. They were trying to decide how to essentially bolster the police force downtown while there were all of these people that were advocates, you know, working people calling for the opposite of that. Especially since business owners were complaining downtown that teenagers were causing all these issues. Um, Once they get out of high, you know, they get out of school, they go hang out at the McDonald's, which by the way, the last McDonald's downtown is closing. So where are the students going to hang out when there's tripled police downtown? And they now have done a combined, like a, a combined approach. It'll be police through the city of Pittsburgh and through Allegheny County. So that's kind of how they got around that, saying, oh, well, we're not actually tripling the police presence downtown because it's just a different force. They're like, oh, it's not the city of Pittsburgh, it's Allegheny County. But it's like, no matter what, they're, they just want to put more police downtown. And that is because they want to repress and oppress young people, mostly black and brown, you know, youth. And this goes for neighborhoods all throughout Pittsburgh. When you look at the Stop the Violence grants, they're targeting black and brown neighborhoods, low-income neighborhoods. And I think that instead of ushering these young people into police academies, which is also part of it, this whole officer-friendly type of program, that they need to offer real alternatives. We need youth centers. We need places for youth to go. The Pittsburgh Peace Plan really is just a call for more police. And like I said, the solution is funding the people's needs, not cops. We are socialists. Our vision is to reduce and eliminate the violence to which millions are subjected on a daily basis and to end this exploitation and alienation, oppression and poverty and competition that fuels the violence. I have seen the administration aiming to clean up the streets is what Ganey said, but you know, without a plan that includes our communities, I can't imagine that it is going to have a positive impact. Youth deserve 
not only safe and recreational spaces, but they deserve them without police surveillance and repression, which is what the city has put forth. Stop locking up youth in detention centers. They're talking about reopening the Schumann Detention Center and funding more free and accessible after-school programs and activities. That should be a priority. And, you know, the Democratic Party, they are loyal supporters of the cops. And make no mistake, whatever they say about accountability, they're always going to take the side of the police. So our approach would be violence interruption, conflict resolution, and social work programs that are fully funded on a local and national priority. Black, Native, Latino, and other oppressed peoples must have the unconditional right to self-determination and self-defense. Another way to address some of this violence is ban the marketing and advertising of weapons. So completely get the corporate money out of politics, which the current administration has done really nothing to do. And demilitarize the police in the state, demilitarize the schools, no arming of the teachers, required proof of training and shooting and gun safety, and one of the most important points, build strong and empowered working class youth and neighborhood organizations. And I really urge people to look into some of the organizing that PSL is doing. Um, we are a revolutionary group, and we believe that, you know, the police are not the solution. Thank you for the update, Kit. Yeah, and it's just, on one hand, it seems astounding in a scenario where the police already receive such a vast amount of the city's budget to think that throwing even more money at this would actually fix the problems. But, you know, it actually makes a lot of sense when you realize how the system is structured and that the police are just an integral part of the economic and social system of control in a lot of ways. So, you know, definitely join us here at the PSL to work to fight against that. Make your voice heard in your community because there's a lot to fight against. All right. I think now that we've kind of got that overview, and thanks again, Kit, uh, we can turn to kind of an environmental concern ongoing in our region, centered in Beaver County. But I mean, Beaver County is only a hop, skip, and a jump away, resides right on one of the major waterways of the country. And there's been a lot of problems in this region generally, if you've been paying attention at all, with the East Palestine train derailment. So this is just another ongoing, I think, concern. That doesn't get as much coverage as it should, given kind of the magnitude of the environmental impact. So Ian's here to give us an overview of what's going on up at the Shell Cracker plant in Manaka. Yeah. Basically what a cracker plant is, is that it takes long chain hydrocarbons that were drilled from a process called fracking. And I think most people have at least heard that fracking is an extremely hazardous and damaging process. Basically what fracking is, it's you inject water and chemicals and sand into the ground to break up the rocks in the ground and release oil and petrochemicals. And basically what that does is, since you've broken up the ground, now it can seep into groundwater and just the soil. So you start with that already damaging process. That gets transported to places like, and that is happening here, by the way, uh, the Marcellus Shale rock formation 
Pittsburgh is basically right in the middle of it. These are local fracking suppliers. So you start with that already damaging process. Those petrochemicals get shipped to the shellcracker plant where those long chain, random chain, random numbers of carbons, hydrocarbon oils get heated up at high temperatures. And basically what that does, it breaks it up into smaller molecules that can then be distilled and used in plastic production, basically. What happened at the shellcracker plant on February 13th is a process called flaring, which is when there is an issue in the refinement process. They, rather than trapping the chemicals that are released, the high temperature chemicals that are released, they release them into the atmosphere. And the idea behind flaring is that as they are releasing, they're ignited. And the idea being is that just turns it into soot and that hopefully destroys all the damaging chemicals. Problem is, it's not remotely 100% effective. And on top of that, it also creates, as they're burning, they react and create damaging poisonous chemicals. They started operations in November and way over exceeded their quota, their maximum amount of chemicals, type, different types of chemicals. They have quotas that is the maximum amount they can release. And they went well over their yearly allotment in just a few months. They released 741.5 tons of benzenes and other volatile organic chemicals. Um, if you are ever in Home Depot and you see a bucket of benzenes, it is used as a cleaner, a paint cleaner. It's very nasty stuff, and you are recommended to use safety equipment, including breathing masks. And that is being released into the air. And call the uh, hospital if you're ever exposed to it, yeah. ingest it, breathe it in, mm -hmm. right? They also released 345.4 tons of nitrous oxides, which is another irritant to your respiratory system. And fun fact, when those two chemicals react, they form ozone, which is what you smell if, you, if you're ever at a lightning storm. That kind of, how to describe it, tangy <laughs> odor. Um, uh, but that is, people talk about the ozone layer being destroyed, which is bad, but Ground level ozone is not a good thing. <laughs> it's extremely reactive. I mean, it, ozone is an unstable molecule, so it can react and form something else bad amidst a bunch of emissions, right? Yes, absolutely. All these chemicals are cancer-causing on top of respiratory issues. And the region of the Rust Belt uh, has the highest cancer rates in the country. Pittsburgh specifically is the city with the highest risk. The plant, as I said, is predominantly used to produce plastics. Their production goal this year is 1.6 million tons of plastic. So from beginning to end of this supply chain, it is environmentally calamitous. It is a disaster. You know, we should be shifting production towards uh, recycling plastics that already exist everywhere rather than producing massive amounts of new plastics. 
But yeah, no, I was just going to say, uh, because I mentioned East Palestine, it's interesting the parallel here where whenever they have something that they don't want to deal with, it seems like they just blow it up. I mean, but this flaring is just, I mean, obviously the East Palestine is an isolated event in some ways in that you had this catastrophic train derailment. But essentially you have an equivalent process here going on constantly with this flaring. And I'll just add that some of us have been kind of keying in more um, in terms of what the community is saying. And people are concerned. I mean, you can go on their Facebook groups and every time the, the flaring is seen, somebody posts about it. Even if folks don't know the exact chemistry, people understand intuitively that this is not good. And if you're at all concerned about the environment, this is something that we have to fight against to your point. We need to cut plastic reduction to begin with. We need to cut fracking. So it's just, it's kind of like a culmination of a lot of different concerns and struggles just in this one plant. So we're definitely going to be keeping an eye on this. But yeah, and people are concerned. And really, it's always one of these things, I think, where it's framed as like, oh, well, this is like a job creator for the community. But to my knowledge, and I don't know the exact numbers, but I don't think it, I don't think it employs like a vast number of peak community at all. It's not like it sustains the whole town. I mean, those plants... They largely operate on their own. I'm sure there's like some maintenance and operator crews, but it's not like it's a providing everybody in that town with a job. So, but yeah, definitely something to keep an eye on. I know there's some environmental groups. I think we're going to be looking at some, at least education and awareness events around those up in the Beaver County area. So stay tuned for that. And again, just let your voice be heard, as we said with the police um, and get out and join the struggle. But thank you, Ian, for that. And there's also the... Um, liberation news article for which kind of covers this which we'll link in the show notes for it did you have something else yeah um i just wanted to add on the note of the the whole uh job creation narrative um i think during the whole process over the whole course of the thing and so this is not current numbers total it was six thousand jobs and this is over the course of years since the Obama administration. And, you know, so it is not, you know, sustaining a whole town, number one. Um, but number two, you know, if it's not healthy to live around, it's not healthy to work there. And it's, you know, not job destroying to demand better working conditions. Another f flaring incident happened just a few nights ago. Um, so this is constant issues. And this is, they admit, Shell admits that this is something that is done when there is an issue. So it's, they recognize this, it's not good that it's, they're not doing anything about it, but they recognize that it's not good for flaring to happen. <laughs> That's the, the reason that procedure exists. So yeah, it's, it's not job destroying to demand better working conditions. And I think what the situation needs is a genuine worker-led environmental movement that is tied to the communities where these issues are happening that can agitate, spread awareness, and disrupt these dangerous practices. You can see yourself, there's a website called Purple Air. It has a air quality index uh, for the air for the whole country, but you can zoom into Pittsburgh. And see around Monaco, you can see in in the they have the history, and you can go back and see when these flarings are happening. Yeah, and as you said earlier, just we 
live in a region that has historically been polluted by industry and it just continues. I mean, I think we try to, it gets whitewashed in a lot of ways because they say Pittsburgh's been cleaned up because we've moved over to like the healthcare and the technology spaces. But as we see, this stuff continues. And as we saw with East Palestine, a lot of these chemicals that just get released, they don't go away anytime soon. They remain in aquifers, in the air, groundwater. So it's a good point. It's not, we have to look at it as like we can create jobs in different sectors to combat the historic damage that we had and build new clean energy. So that's how we have to frame this. And that would actually be more sustainable. And I'll just add the last comment that like when they throw out those jobs numbers, a lot of times what they do is they include temporary contracting jobs, right? So if they had a job to build a specific facet of that plant, that would get counted towards job creation, but there's nothing permanent about that. There's no benefits for workers that are resultant from Shell in that scenario or anything like that. So it's very misleading. Yeah, I just wanted to quickly add on that point that at some point, the Marcella Shale will dry up. At some point, it will no longer be economically efficient in capitalist logic in terms of what is profitable for the Shell company to continue to have the cracker plant and then they will shut it down they will sell off all the assets and they will move away and the people of beaver county and western pennsylvania will be left with these toxic chemicals in our water in our earth in our air for decades if not centuries for some of them so absolutely the idea that these short-term jobs are at all an equal trade-off for share, you know, uh, shell stockholders to profit themselves off of uh, the lives and well-being of county residents is crazy. Um, and this is something that our area has experienced in the past. Um, very famously, Pittsburgh and the surrounding areas were, you know, the industrial heartland of the United States with massive steel production, massive coal production. And then it was no longer economically efficient for the various companies to uh, exist in Pittsburgh. And they packed up and they left away. And now this region of the country is called the Rust Belt. You know, literally the open admission that it is just that if things continue as they are, it is a decaying area with the population fleeing because it's no longer suitable for, for human life that there are greener pastures elsewhere. And as somebody who has a great love for Pittsburgh and the surrounding area and the people, it's very sad. Um, and absolutely the only way to stop this and the only way to build a better future is a worker-led movement and for economic decisions to be made not on the basis of what's profitable for a few people, but what's best for the entire community and the planet. No, absolutely. And I think that's a theme here, right? We're talking about a lot of different issues here today, and it becomes so apparent where you need to kind of take the fight. That's at the system at its root, because that's the only way to truly address all these multivariate problems. But speaking of another front that we have to fight on, you know, we live in a time of increased fascist attacks on the rights of the LGBTQ community. And, you know, it's coming from vigilante groups, neo-fascist neo groups, 
And it's coming from the state as well on the national level and on the individual states. I mean, in particularly in places like Florida, but we're even seeing like these so-called liberal havens of, you know, New York, Pennsylvania, kind of falling in line with this, again, fascist rhetoric and beyond just the rhetoric, the legislation as well. So June, I know there was a rally on Friday at the University of Pittsburgh to kind of protest against some of these uh, bigots that were coming to speak at the school. But maybe you can speak to that. And also just, I know you mentioned that there was some discussion of a don't say gay bill floating around the PA state legislature. So maybe you can give us an update on that event and also um, the legal situation in Pennsylvania for the community. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the axes of attack of these far-right organizations is the attempt to infiltrate college campuses in order to spread their rhetoric and their ideology. Uh, one such organization is Turning Point USA, whose self-declared mission is to, quote, identify, educate, train, and organize students to promote freedom. So recently, um, and the huge air quotes around freedom, by the way, uh, so recently... Uh, the Turning Point USA Club at Pitt has invited a series of transphobic speakers to spread their ideology on campus. Um, the first speaker, Michael Knowles, has in the past stated, quote, transgenderism must be eradicated from public life. Inevitably, when there is an outcry against allowing such a heinous person to speak on a college campus, in the public arena where there are trans people who he is directly stating must be eradicated, you know, people were upset. And they said to the University of Pittsburgh's administration, hey, can you do something about this? And in response, the University of Pittsburgh said, mm, we probably could, but we're not going to. And the fig leaf of deniability that they decided to go with is that underneath the University of Pittsburgh's diversity, equity, and inclusion policy, they will not stop any student organization from inviting a specific speaker onto campus. Uh, the idea behind this is that college campuses should be free speech areas and you know there should be a debate in the marketplace of ideas. Now, how exactly allowing genocidal rhetoric on campus promotes diversity, equity, and inclusion, or why we need to have a debate about whether or not transgenderism needs to be eradicated, the University of Pittsburgh has not yet explained uh, the educational benefits. And to be honest, I don't really anticipate them doing so anytime soon. So basically recognizing this fig leaf of bullshit for what it was, the people that attend and teach at the University of Pittsburgh, the students and the faculty, said, we're going to do something about this. And according to my estimates, over like 200 people showed up on Friday at a protest outside the Cathedral of Learning to stand up against hate and to state that this kind of hateful rhetoric will not be accepted or tolerated on Pitt's campus. Um, there was a lot of great energy, a lot of there I saw young people there I saw old people parents of trans uh, people uh, I saw people uh, of every race and sexual identity and gender orientation from every walk of life and 
you know, to be honest, I don't know who this Michael Knowles character is. I just found out about him this week, basically. But I think that these kinds of events showing up uh, and showing out loud are the kinds of things that are going to be necessary to fight back against the right wing assault on uh, basic rights in this country. Um, And speaking of that assault, one of the other axes of attack is passing legislation through the various uh, state legislatures in this country. So recently, there have been two bills that have been introduced in the uh, PA House, in the PA legislature. The first one is House Bill 216. This one attempts to define sports teams in public institutions across the lines of strict biological sex, which would prohibit trans athletes from participating on teams of their gender identity. If that wasn't bad enough, the bill also extends to, quote, any school or institution where students or teams compete against a public school, which effectively isolates trans student athletes from their cisgender peers. Because now, even if you go to a private institution and they have the reasonable policy, which is to allow trans students to become athletes on teams of their gender identity, if you go to a competition and you are against a uh, public educational institution, you will not be allowed to compete against them, which what that effectively does is, like I said, isolates trans student athletes from their cisgender peers or, you know, puts them in what could be uh, dangerous environments um, where they're forced to, you know, be in locker rooms with people that might have it out against them. By the way, the bill is euphemously called uh, Protect Women's Sports. I don't really understand how any of this protects women's sports. It's pretty clearly to me an attack on uh, trans people. Uh, The other bill, House Bill 319, is our version of the Florida Don't Say Gay Bill, and it prohibits schools from instruction on sexual orientation or gender identity from kindergarten to the fifth grade. So this is despite the fact that anybody can begin questioning their sexual or gender identity at any age and might want to go to an authority figure to talk about that. But this especially doesn't make any sense, given that many of these students by the sixth grade will have started puberty and will be undergoing intense um, changes in their body and their uh, sexuality. And inevitably, these questions will arise. And instead of acknowledging this reality and developing a plan to uh, talk to students about it in a way that promotes healthy understandings of sex and gender. The reactionaries in Pennsylvania instead want to repress any discussion, to not talk about it. And you might be listening to this and thinking, oh, well, should you really be talking about sex between kindergarten and fifth grade? The answer would be yes, because people should have an understanding about sex in case of predators. But also, if you're a betting person, I would say put down a bet for there will be further, if this bill passes, there will be further attacks on discussing sexual orientation and gender identity in um, schools in Pennsylvania. And this is them merely laying the ground for their offensive. Um, additionally, the bill requires schools to inform parents about uh, changes in children's mental, emotional, or physical health, which to me is a pretty transparent attempt to force teachers to report children 
um, to unsupportive parents given the rest of the bill. You know, obviously, um, anybody that is taking part in the collective raising of a child should, you know, discuss with one another um, any issues that might arise to the child's well-being, but to make it a mandated process in all instances without consideration for um, violence against the child is terrible and goes against um, the responsibility that teachers and all individuals have to promote the healthy upbringing of children. So those are the attacks happening right now. Both of them have been relegated to the PA House Committee on Education for further debate. Currently, the Democrats control the PA legislature and the governorship. So there is not necessarily a high likelihood that these bills pass. But as we've already discussed in this program, given the limp-wristed defense that the Democrats have when it comes to people's rights, we cannot trust them to do what is best for us. Just as the students and faculty at Pitt indicated, the best way for us to defend our rights, the best way for us to defend our communities is always and will always be to show up in the streets, to protest, to make noise, to agitate, to educate, and to organize um, to stop these attacks on our basic rights. Thank you for that update, June. Yeah, and it's just, it should spur you into action because if we don't all get active and get organized, we're just going to continue to get pulled to the right. I mean, the Democrats are at best static and at worst assisting with the ratchet effect to the right, but they are not allies in this struggle. Um, and just on top of that, you know, I would encourage people to, you know, one, understand that we are living in, you know, another crisis of capitalism, right? And just to go back and study history and understand the role of scapegoating people based on identity um, when capitalism tries to obfuscate the real issues at the source of a society and what that can mean for people because it's dark and dangerous and we need to support our comrades in the LGBTQ community and just, you know, if, even if they're not comrades, working class people that we should love and care about. So, you know, get active and fight. And that's what we need to do here. And just another note, June gave a hell of a speech at the uh, rally on Friday. So I'm sure that'll be making its round around social. So I hope you all find it. I think we're going to have to start getting close to wrapping up here. So we may not be able to get to that article, but we will post it. And I'll give a shout out to that at the end. But I did want to turn over to Ian real quick as we move to a recent event that was hosted by the Answer Coalition to protest NATO, the U.S. and NATO's involvement in the Ukraine war and protesting against all of the wars historically and the ones that they want to bring about. So, Ian, maybe you can talk a little bit about that event. You know, why was it important? how it situates in a new anti-war movement and how folks can get involved. So on March 18th, um, uh, PSL Pittsburgh and some friends of the party from around Pittsburgh uh, joined a march in D.C. that was very well attended. It was two to 4,000 people. And there were amazing speakers. I encourage everyone to... Go on um, Breakthrough News uh, Media and Liberation News Media and any PSL social media because 
I'm sure that the speeches will be post will have been posted there. Some amazing speakers from across not just the country but internationally and in territories that and in countries that the US is currently oppressing and occupying militarily. And this is important because it was a international call for peace from from the entire working class of the world. And it, it recognized the role that the US and NATO plays in imperialism. The current war in Ukraine is a tragedy that the US has been provoking for 30 years. More than that. Yeah. A century, At least, yeah. Practically since the end of World War One, And it has constantly built built up and ratcheted up the tension. And now there's an outright war. And every time there's talks of peace, the U.S. says, no, we, we can't have that. They are being very true to their, what they said early in the war, that they'd fight Russia to the last Ukrainian. And this international tragedy has to stop. It's also being used to cover up crimes of the U.S. empire, like what is currently happening in Haiti. I would definitely like to encourage everyone to read that article. There is armed occupation of Haiti, where essentially people in Haiti, their rights to assembly are being taken away, and they are being declared terrorists for protesting a corrupt occupation government. And this protest was significant because it was not just about the war in Ukraine. It was about all the wars that the empire has manufactured and pushed for and funded and engaged in all the occupations for decades. And it has to be a ongoing push. A lot of the comrades who spoke were there protesting 20 years ago in the lead up to and the early stages of the war in Iraq. And they were there for those initial protests. Um, And it's been 20 years. We are still in the Middle East meddling in other people's affairs, terrorizing people. We still have troops in Iraq. And it, it, it can't go on. And we are not free until all of us are free. That includes workers internationally. As far as next steps, if you're in Pittsburgh, uh, please look up the Pittsburgh Anti-Imperialist League. And uh, we do talks, we do pickets, we do all kinds of events. And I would very much like to see everyone there. No, thank you, comrade. Yeah, and just to reemphasize it, that was the first step. And it was a great first step. We had a great turnout. And I think that international perspective, I mean, it brought to light some things. And I'm somebody that spends a lot of time researching it, but it brought to light some aspects of U.S. empire that I didn't even know were ongoing. And it's just, it's just kind of to make the point that it is a very pervasive evil system. I don't like to use those those words sometimes, but like you hear some of the stories that come out and you look back at some of the photos that came out of Iraq, children still being born in Fallujah, 
birth defects because of the use of depleted uranium rounds, which the UK is now sending to Ukraine, which is the breadbasket of the world in a lot of ways. You know, so it's just there, there's, there's all these things. And again, as we said before, the root is capitalism and, is, and imperialism. So, you know, that's why we have to take like kind of like a multi-front struggle approach at all these things. But yeah, so please do get involved with the anti-war movement. It's just as important. It's it's as important a place as any to expend your energy to fight something against, right? Um, and we do do a lot of work with the anti-war coalition here, our pickets, and then, as you said, the Pittsburgh Anti-Imperialist League. And I just think, you know, we, we mentioned Ukraine. And the other thing that you have to keep top of mind right now is that the empire is kind of turning its eye towards China. And we can see it in terms of the manufacturing consent machine really starting to kick into gear. I mean, these TikTok trials are literally just like McCarthyite Red Scare trials. And it, it is really just to demonize the Chinese government, the Chinese people, because they pose a threat to U.S. hegemony. And I think it's really interesting to note because we mentioned the Middle East, you know, played such a you know, just figured so prominently in the background of that protest. But you have to understand that China is offering a lot of places in the world a very different solution. As we occupy a third of Syria still and extract oil from beneath a sovereign nation's feet, China is facilitating peace deals. You may not like the governments that are involved, but stability and peace is much better for the working people there, no matter what. And we, we should be supporting efforts like that and fighting against efforts to just promote chaos and destabilization so our capitalist class can extract wealth because that's what this is all about. I just want to emphasize on how we know that the U.S. empire is turning to China. I mean, you can look in the news, you know, there's plenty of evidence there. But to highlight um, some of the speakers that were at the gathering in D.C., some of them were from Guam, and Guam is a U.S. territory, um, which means the citizens there do not have all of the rights of other people in the United States. Um, and Guam is also has also effectively been turned into a U.S. military outpost. And some of the speakers there were, ha were talking about how the stationing of U.S. maritime assets of U.S. naval ships, how they leak oil and other dangerous chemicals into the groundwater, into the environment, much like how fracking leaks into things in our areas um, in Pittsburgh. Uh, and they were also talking about how the government had told them a few decades ago that, oh, we'll be kind of slowing down what we're doing in this area, don't worry. But in recent years, there's actually been an increase of ships being stationed there, of uh, munitions testing on different parts of the island, which obviously has a seriously destructive impact on the environment. So when the U.S. empire and the U.S. and the corporate media tell you, we're going to fight China to help you, you know, the people in Guam and anywhere else that houses a U.S. military base knows how incorrect that is because they are on the front line of this aggression towards China and the U.S. war machine does not care about people or their needs. It only cares about what is best for the U.S. ruling class, which is to oppress and terrorize the rest of the world so that uh, we, quote unquote, really 
the wealthy capitalists can extract resources and labor at very, very cheap prices. So that is always the end goal of U.S. imperialism. That's what it was in Iraq and Afghanistan, in Syria with the dirty war. It's what's happening in Ukraine and Russia, where the only peace the U.S. ruling class will accept right now is for Russia to no longer be an independent country and for Ukraine to continue to be a proxy state. And their ultimate goal in China is to break its sovereignty and really go back to the days where all of the empires in the world could divide up China and extract its people um, and its land for resources. So the people who showed up to the protest in D.C., you know, were the people in the United States that are experiencing this violence firsthand and that know the reality of imperialist aggression towards China is not to the benefit of the working class at all, at any level. Absolutely. And I think that's a uh, as good a note as any to wrap on here. No war with China, U.S. out of everywhere, right? In terms of upcoming events, Pittsburgh PSL will be hosting a May Day event um, on the real International Labor Day. So details to follow on that. The Pittsburgh Anti-Imperialist League will also be hosting an event on Paul Robeson, one of the great anti-imperialists that we have in the history of this country. And the details will be forthcoming on that as well. But we're looking at like a mid-April time frame. But again, confirmation and location to follow. But you can keep up with us by following us on Instagram at PSL Pittsburgh and our Facebook page of the same name. And you can also reach out to us via email at pslpittsburgh at gmail.com. Please go ahead and share this with your friends and family. Again, the point of this is to get a working class perspective on the events in Pittsburgh that are happening. Thank you for listening and solidarity.